Turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 5 this morning. Romans chapter 5 in your New Testament scriptures. And as we read the passage, I think you'll notice several themes coming together from what the choir sang, from what our second hymn uh, sang, as well as the verses we used for our call to confession. So Romans chapter 5, I'll read for us verses 1 through 11 this morning. Romans 5, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for his help. Father in heaven, send forth your spirit to open our eyes to behold the wonders of Jesus Christ revealed in the word and open our eyes to our own sin or our own need, how we can trust in you, how we can draw near to you, how we can be made holy by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and help us to hold fast to him as you hold fast to us. And we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians 1.6 is a verse that has often brought me a lot of comfort. It reads, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What God starts, he finishes. And the God who started the good work of salvation in us will continue to work in us until he brings us across the finish line. Until we reach the final destination and conclude our race. Until we settle in our eternal home. And that simple thought of assurance, future assurance, is what guides Paul's thinking as we come to chapter 5 today. You see, when we come to chapter 5, we've actually reached a new section of Romans. Imagine going on a long hike, perhaps up a mountain. You're not at the summit yet. 
but you've completed the first stage of your journey and you've come around the corner and you've reached some flat ground where you can catch your breath and take in what is already a beautiful view as you've begun to ascend on your hike. Well, Paul has highlighted in the first four sections, or first four chapters of Romans, the human problem, the problem of sin. And he celebrated how God has solved that problem. He's met our need. Jesus came towards those who were in sin and gave his life to provide righteousness for us. Amazing love, as our choir just sang. And so Paul has proven the first part of his gospel thesis, that the gospel reveals God's righteousness. The gospel provides a way for you to become just by faith and so to live. But is that all there is to the gospel? Well, not at all. Paul also said in those opening verses, the gospel powerfully saves everyone who believes. It not only provides a right standing with God, it also preserves us to the final day of salvation. And you see both of those elements in verse 9. Notice that verse again. Since we have now been justified by his blood, there's what Paul has said, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? That's where Paul is going. Let's talk now, Paul says, about our future hope, about our future assurance. You can even see the way he uses the word saved. It has reference to the past, when God claimed you, when God justified you. But it also has reference to the present and to the future, what God will do with you now, how he will preserve you to the last day. The gospel addresses the whole package. And you might ask, well, why would we need that assurance for the future? Well, in verse 3, Paul refers to our present sufferings. And one Bible dictionary defines suffering as trouble, trouble that inflicts distress. And that could be internal distressing, the anguish you go through when you hit a hard time. It could be external distress. You think oppression or trials or tribulations, things that are done to you or things that go on around you, and then they cause that internal distress. It can involve wrestling with sin, trying to put sin to death. It can involve wrestling with the realities of living in a fallen creation. All of those will be on the table. As we go through the next chapters. And in the face of suffering, in the face of sin, in the face of distress, Christians need assurance. They need hope. They need reassurance that the gospel will complete its great work. And it is that assurance, it's that hope that Paul focuses on in these next chapters. And so as we come today to verses 1 through 11, as we've ascended part of the summit, as we take in all that God has done, as we catch our breath and look forward to what else God will tell us, well, let's focus then on these truths that are given to us today. The foundation that's been laid in the gospel and the assurances that the gospel makes to those who are right with God by faith. Let's look this morning at the passage which gives us the hope we need. And we'll take it from two angles. First, there's the basis for our hope. 
But then there will also be the content of our hope. You see, in these pas- in this passage, in verses 1 through 11, Paul's going to hook together the two sections of Romans. So on one hand, he's going to look back to what's come already, and then he's going to look forward to where we're going. So in verses 1 through 2, Paul really ties the two sections together. Notice again, he writes, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So you see from these verses why we've reached a transition point in the letter of Romans. Since we've been justified through faith. And there's a good one-sentence summary of everything Paul has said so far in Romans. Those who exercise faith in Christ, those who trust, are declared righteous. Not because of anything in you, not because of what's going to happen to you, but because your sins were credited to Christ and his righteousness was credited to you. And God declares you are just in the right with him. By grace, through faith, we have been justified. Now, since that's true, let's talk about the results. Paul says, therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, peace. And when you hear, hear peace, think not only the cessation of hostilities, which that's a good situation. That's what Ukraine wants right now, ending hostilities. But not only does the biblical picture of peace mean ending hostilities, it also means a positive well-being, a wholeness, a reconciliation, the salvation of the people of God, the salvation God promised In the last days, because you are right with God by faith, your relationship with God is whole. It's been put together again. And please notice what Paul reinforces here. This is something that happened outside of you. This is something that God did objectively. God did through the work of Christ. God has applied it to you through the Spirit. So there's that sense in which you exercise faith. And, you, and we yearn to have that subjective assurance, the inward sense of peace. But notice it starts with what God does. So even when it doesn't feel right, even when things don't seem right, God's truth is still true. And those who trust him by faith have peace with God. And maybe by meditating on that reality, then you begin to develop an inward sense of peace as well. And by the way, as we focus on truth, as we, as we think about the theology, which is great, notice also Paul's sense of story continues as well. So how do we have this peace? How do we have this justification? Because God has accomplished it through the faithful Israelite, through Jesus the Messiah. He has entered God's story and he's brought this story of love, of covenantal love. He's brought it to a climax. What Israel couldn't do, what we couldn't do, and what Rome can't do, they promised peace, peace through the army, peace through the sword. What none of those people can do, God has done. And he has done it through his son, Jesus Christ. So right with him by faith, we have peace, we have wholeness with God. But notice also verse 2, he also gives us access 
by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And and notice there's a double emphasis here. There's the entry point, getting through the front door. Paul says Christ has done that for us. He's opened the door. He's been the one who's shown us into the house and said this person belongs here. We've been given access by faith into his grace. But it's not just a drop in. Hey, come in, get a snack and leave. Notice also we stay in this grace. Into this grace in which we now stand. I've said it several times by now, but it's worth repeating. Everything the believer has, he has by grace. And the realm in which the believer lives is one of grace. And therefore, because of that grace, the end of the verse, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And what is that idea of hope? Well, again, one Bible dictionary defines hope as looking forward with confidence, anticipating that which is good, anticipating that which is beneficial, but expecting it with confidence, not just I hope so, I hope this works out, but because of the promises of God, because of the objective work of Christ, The believer looks forward to his final inheritance with confidence. And notice what it is we hope for. We hope for the glory of God. Notice the reversal that's taken place. The well-known Romans 3.23, I bet many of you have memorized it, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But now the reversal. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. And that can mean glory of God in the sense of God's approval. Glory can sometimes have that meaning. Or it can have the idea of we we boast in hope that we'll enter God's glory. We'll share his glory. We'll we'll be able to live in that glorious presence without being obliterated. I refer to Isaiah's prayer in our prayer of confession. When he saw the glory of God, he became aware of his sinfulness. Those two things, they just can't coexist. Well, Paul says because of Christ's work, we are confident we boast in our hope that we'll enter that glory one day and we will not be destroyed that is what Christ's work has accomplished and that is then the basis for all of our hope so now let's transition into the rest of the passage the real meat of the passage and let's look at the content of our hope We've got this basis. We've laid a good foundation. We're going to build a strong building now. But what kind of house do we live in? What kind of hope does God give us? Well, Paul focuses specifically here on three things. First, the Spirit's presence with you in suffering. Paul opens verse 3 with this claim. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. So Paul's looking ahead. We boast in a future hope. But then he pauses and says, but you know what we also glory in? You know what we also boast or even rejoice in? We rejoice in our sufferings. You see, Paul knows what he said back in chapter 4. God made promises to Abraham. Abraham, you're going to inherit the world. There's a new creation coming when God remakes everything perfectly, takes away all the sin. But lest Paul run ahead of himself, he knows we're not yet there. We still live 
in a fallen world. We still carry around sinful temptation within ourselves. And so there's going to be times we suffer because of sin, our own sin, or the sins of others. And Paul says, but you know what? Because of the gospel, not only do we look forward to the future with hope, But we've got hope right now that we're going to finish this journey and that we are going to persevere through sufferings and we glory in that. Now, why would anyone take that approach? Why would someone say, oh yeah, I can glory in, I can rejoice in suffering? Because, as Paul makes clear, your present sufferings are a means of increasing your hope. Now, that that goes against the natural way of thinking, but I want you to follow Paul's chain of thinking here in verses 3 and 4. Suffering, he writes, produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, notice that chain. What is the end result of suffering? Hope. Suffering, rather than destroying hope, actually increases hope. Our hope. Now, why is that? Well, that's just the way it is. That's how God built it. There's two reasons, a minor one and a major one. First, the minor reason that suffering increases your hope is because suffering gives you an opportunity to exercise hope. Hope is like a muscle. As you exercise it, as you use it, it gets stronger. And that's the point Paul is making here. When you exercise hope in suffering... You persevere through it. And as you persevere through suffering, God strengthens your character. And as your character grows, that generates further hope. So there's a minor reason that suffering produces hope. It improves who we are spiritually. It's a sanctifying exercise when gone through with hope. You see, when we suffer, we're forced to take hope in God. That's how it works. The things you might normally take comfort in, the things you might normally take security in, that they tend to go away in times of suffering. The only reliable option is to trust in what you can't see, to trust God, to trust his promises, to trust his grace. And those present trials will remind you, okay, there's something out there I just don't have yet. I'm not yet home, but I am going to choose to hope in it. Because it's what God has promised me. The exercise of faith. Exactly what we just saw a few weeks ago in studying Abraham. But here's what else I want you to notice from this passage. It is not merely the exercise of faith. Okay, this is going to make you better. This is going to make you stronger. That Paul offers as the content of hope. Rather, and here's the major theme. It is the way God ministers to us. In times of suffering, that increases our hope. Follow what I'm saying here. Look at what Paul writes in verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I want you to notice this. Paul doesn't say, okay, suffering produces perseverance leading to character and character leads to hope and your hope doesn't disappoint. Why? Because eventually your suffering ends. Paul doesn't say that. Hope doesn't disappoint because eventually you get what you hope for. Paul doesn't say that. Now, are all those things true in the long term? Absolutely. But what Paul says here is you'll suffer, but your hope won't disappoint you. 
Why? Because God's love has been poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit. When you suffer, God gives you a rich sense of his presence. The Holy Spirit has been poured into you. You now, the the Spirit lives within you. And this is the first time Paul mentions it. So it's almost as like, I had to say all this legal stuff, but man, but before I leave that behind, I just want you to know this all happens because God loves you and because God has given you his spirit. And when you suffer, when you're not yet at the final destination, the gospel assures you that God goes with you. And the presence of the spirit with you reassures you of the love of God for you. And that will drive you through trials more than any sense of payoff, though the payoff is good. The presence of God with you is the content of the hope Paul offers here. So when you suffer, call on God to refresh your hope. Call on God to give you that rich sense of his presence. And you hold on to that because God is holding on to you. In a sense, it's a very... It's one of the subjective sides of Christianity. When we talk about the objective side, the legal transaction, what God does, justification, absolutely. But there's also an experiential side of the Christian faith. And when you walk with God and hold on to him by hope and he holds on to you, you'll know that love of God for your soul when you suffer. But that's not the only hope Paul offers us here. Let's look at the second way Paul describes our hope. You see, he mentions God's love for us in verse 5. Again, first time in the letter he mentions God's love. It's like he has to make sure, don't let me forget to tell you this most important truth. And so then in verse 6, he decides to kind of back up and expand on it. He says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us how do I know that God will still love me through trials that that these are not a sign of his abandonment that even when that trial is brought on by my sin there's forgiveness and restoration because Paul says back up to the work of Christ before you were even a believer before you had done any act of obedience, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And so it's an argument from the greater to the lesser. If God has done the hard thing, Christ dying for sinners, then there's nothing to stop him from doing the little thing, holding on to you when you suffer. And by the way, it's not, hey, you were bad then and God loved you. Now that you're good and doing good, God loves you. No, it's just this idea that he has paid for all of your sins when you were sinful, when you could do nothing for him. Now you're his adopted child. Now he has declared you just. So how much more then might he give you what you need? What's beautiful about these verses They require very little explanation. It's it's a human analogy that many of us can understand. We talked already this morning about Memorial Day, those who give their lives for others. Soldiers trained to do that, even at times throwing their bodies on grenades for the sake of their platoon. That is an amazing sacrifice. I don't think any of us who haven't served can really comprehend. 
But even within that framework, there's a camaraderie there. There's a training there. There's a sense of brotherhood there as those soldiers work together. Paul says we didn't even have that going for us when Christ died for us. His son was sent for those who hated him. And yet you hear the heart of Jesus on the cross praying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And so just as Abraham was justified before he obeyed, Christ died for sinners while we were still sinners. If God loved you in that state, then he will take care of you in this one. And that leads into the third content of our hope, the promise of our future salvation. Christ's presence with you in suffering, God's love for you as a sinner, and God's promise to you of future salvation. The last three verses. Since we have now been justified by his blood, well, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath? Through him. Paul kind of gathers up everything he said. He's ready to continue his hike up the mountain. He says, Okay, since we're justified, then we can look to the future with hope. We can know that God will preserve us to the last day so that we will be saved from his wrath. Sometimes when that we hinted at this earlier, but sometimes when the Bible speaks of salvation, it speaks of it as an accomplished fact. That's why Christians often say, I I am am saved by the grace of God. Or people who remember the day they believed, I got saved on this day. And that is legitimate language to use about the Christian faith. The Bible also uses the word saved to refer to the future. When God appears again, when he summons all people to appear before his throne and renders judgment. But notice that Paul is confident that the believer will pass the judgment on that day. If we are justified by his blood, then we will be saved from God's wrath through Christ on the final day of judgment. It will be Christ's righteousness that counts for us and that delivers us from the wrath of God's eternal hell. And so the comfort God gives you the content of your hope is that he loved you then he is persevering with you now giving you his presence and he will bring you to that final day and don't miss this last of all the the very personal dimension notice the word that occurs in verses 10 and 11 reconciled in verse 10 and reconciliation in verse 11. Again, a lot of legal language in Romans, which we celebrate. But this word, it comes from the world of personal relationships. When people have a falling out with one another. When they can't stand to be in one another's presence. Paul says we were reconciled while we were God's enemies. God took the initiative to remove the barrier. And the work of Christ provided that salvation and now by the spirit we've been brought to lay down our resistance to kneel before God and to embrace the reconciliation and to live in a relationship with him in which hostility has been removed so friends what hope do you need today 
You could ask yourself, okay, what, what hope am I trusting in? There, there's little encouragements that, that make the day better, and, that, and that's fine. But ultimately, what is your hope? What, what are you resting on? To be that security, to be that stability, I can assure you there's only one hope that's trustworthy. There's only one hope you can and should rely on. That is the hope provided by the gospel of Jesus Christ. By an empty tomb that says no matter how dark sin gets, hope is never finally extinguished. Because God gives life from the dead. And he gives it for those who are sinners. Those are the people for whom Christ died. And so united to his death and united to his life, hope will always win. And that hope will carry you through suffering. And it'll make you to know the love of Christ. It'll bring you home one day to that final destination in God's heaven forever. So let's give thanks for those things. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of your word. And I pray that as the word today has been read and proclaimed, we we were called to worship by your word. We we prayed in accordance with your word. We, We read and proclaimed it now, Lord. That is our hope, the word which brings us to the Lord Jesus Christ. So may the power of that word sustain our faith today. Cleanse our souls from sin. Give us the hope we need. And I pray that by your grace, you would bring forth much fruit from your word. What do your people need today? What hope do they need? What encouragement? Please, by your word and spirit, provide it. And we give you our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.